Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. This is the show where inbound agency leaders share the strategies, shortcomings, and successes they've experienced in their journey toward building their dream agency. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew and Gray. Welcome to this week's episode of Inbound Agency Journey. This week, in a rare part two, um, I'm bringing back on Blake Imason, uh, who's on the podcast last week, where we talked about his story from uh, starting his agency, Lime Cuda, a lot of the lessons that he's learned along the way, the pivots and that entrepreneurial journey. And Blake, I wanted to bring you back on this week to really dive into what you guys do best, which is um, the web design development process. Um, that's one of the big pillars of the agency and one of the things that you guys are known for. So welcome back on. Thanks for being willing to come on for part two. Appreciate it, Gray. Glad to be back. Yeah. So let's let's not uh, – we won't waste too much time here. We'll go ahead and jump right into it. So we talked last time. We talked about sales a good amount too and what the process looks like to bring a client in. But I kind of want to walk through just step-by-step the web development process for a client. If someone comes to you and they're building out a site, and if there's any – there might be some stage setting that needs to happen here with what a typical site or project looks like. But – Give us a sense for what the what the workflow looks like, and I'll interrupt you. I'm sure with a lot of questions, but how do things get started, and uh, and then what's it? I've got questions about typical timeline, all that all that kind sure. of stuff. But how do how do things get started? Yeah, so you know the the way things start would be pretty typical for every project where there's you know kind of like a a discovery phase where you're trying to figure out what does it have to look like, and uh, we try and spend as much time just listening at this point and, you know, asking probing questions because it's pretty rare that the client actually knows what they, um, what they really need that they have some idea about what they want, but usually it's just kind of what they, you know, picked up, uh, in their industry or, you know, what seems to be kind of buzzwords or whatever. So they might be like, Hey, yeah, we, we totally need a blog or, you know, they may, um, or they may be like, um, you know, fixated on some certain feature. So, we try and spend a lot of time in that discovery phase, kind of capturing what what is the best um, best way for this whole thing to be structured. And I'd say, kind of pulling back a, another couple thousand feet, over time we've tried as much as possible to you know create a um, kind of a, a process where these are the things we do step by step. But also we've had to realize that that's got to be kind of malleable too like uh you have to be fluid with that because it's pretty rare that we have two projects that look exactly the same and you know have exactly the same kind of client team and and needs so we've tried to be um be rigid with our structure where we can and flexible where it's helpful and uh, i think that's worked out really well just in terms of our our thinking about the project that that the design process and the structures we uh put in place if they're not working towards the thing being an amazing project and, you know, having great results, then it's kind of defeating the purpose of them. Right. That makes sense. Blake, on, on a lot of the projects that you guys are doing on the website, are you almost always doing the design piece as well as the development? Or is it pretty common to have someone come to you with designs and you handle the development side of things or vice versa? Yeah. So I'd say probably um, 50% of the time, uh, we are generating the designs internally. Um, you know, part of part of our team 
is uh, is crafting this specific design, 25% of the, or maybe like 20% of the time, it, it's someone on the client team that's uh, um, at least setting a lot of like the design vocabulary and just basic structure that we might then take and actually create the, the design from. And then the uh, the remaining like 30%, which is really a, a great fit, is when um, like a, a marketing or branding agency comes to us and they might have the client relationship and they'll even generate the design because they know exactly what they're shooting for. They, uh, they may be doing some offline stuff, some print stuff. And uh, so 30% of the time, probably we're working with uh, an agency that's giving us a design or at least um, – uh, a pretty pretty good kind of like mock-up that we can uh we can then turn into a, a into a website yep that makes sense cool so you talked about the consistent discovery phase and doing as much probing there as possible and we talked about how a lot of that is happening um in a lot of cases kind of pre-sale but i'm sure there's some of that happening post-sale as you're kicking off the project you have the signed contract you have a production deposit or whatever that initial payment is <clears throat> do you guys host like a big project kickoff call or do you go meet them in person do you get everybody on the phone at the same time what's happening kind of i guess that this might be helpful too is what are the mediums that the conversations are happening in um is it sure. phone call online meeting email what's what's the setup yeah so usually we do have kind of a, a project kickoff meeting um it's rare that we'll be on site uh, maybe one out of 20 projects or something will we'll actually, you know, um, fly to where the client is or, you know, drive there. A lot of our clients are kind of spread out over um, the U.S. and uh, and further. So it, it doesn't always make sense. Um, it's not always efficient. Uh, so usually that ends up being a phone call and we'll try and get as much of their team on as, uh, as needs to be on. And, uh, just kind of talk through the project, start to get excited about it, identify who's doing what, and, you know, try and figure out um, what are all the different roles and who are the, the kind of key people that will be uh, chasing things for us from them, uh, who are the key people who are approving. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about timeline at that point as well. But usually that is just like a phone conference call. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's how a lot of people do it. That's how we handle a lot of our projects as well and try and get as many people on that. Um, what does, and I realize this is going to be a little bit project specific, but are you typically then moving right into design and probably on the client side, they have some homework around getting some content at, or assets over to you. What's the, what's the next phase out of that kickoff meeting? Sure. Sure. So we kind of also divide the project, um, into three parts and how we think about it. And all three, of course, interlap, or sorry, overlap. And uh, all three um, could be something we attack at the same time. So those three would be uh, the content, which, you know, of course, could be the actual words, the actual imagery, um, maybe even video. Then the, um, the actual design. Sometimes there's like a, a rebrand component of this or, you know, refreshing the typography or the color palette so first one is content second one's design and then third one would be just development which um is kind of like we think of that as like functionality what are the moving pieces of this you know is it going to have a blog is it going to have a calendar um what kind of 
forms and CRM integration. So, so we, we divided up in our minds in terms of content design and development. And depending on the project, we might be pushing on all three of those at the same time. Uh, because there does hit a point where they kind of all nicely converge together. Um, in an ideal world, there might be um, a bit more of a kind of breathing room and, you know, you, you do the content and the, con the content might be all done before you even start the product. That'd be lovely. <laughs> um, then, uh, then you might do design and take that content and make sure it, you know, fits into a... Uh, um, a design that fits the brand and is effective. And then you might take all that design work and then uh, actually code it up. So that's kind of philosophically how we think about um, the, the next phase, the actual like doing part of the project. Are you typically, because for us, like a lot of those things, typically content, in a lot of cases, the client's pretty involved with that, but we'll kind of, that'll get started right from the very beginning. A lot of times there's some SEO um, there's some research and, and SEO work being done, uh, I guess just kind of groundwork being laid and then the content side is being handled and then we'll jump right into design and then development is not really the last piece, but it's kind of the last piece before the implementation of the content. So content's kind of the first and the last, sure, um, makes sense. When, we're, when we're doing that, but how, like, are you guys spending a week, two weeks just focused on content? Or are you doing content and design at the same time? What, um, or is it just different people handling that throughout the process? What's typical? I guess let's let maybe this what would help this process out is if we just take a and if this isn't typical for you, the type of projects that you guys are doing, just ignore that. But let's say the client is giving you they're going to do most of the copywriting. You guys might do some touch up and a little bit of SEO for them, but you don't have to create the content you're pretty much just implementing it and making it look good on the site. And then you're responsible for design and development. So in that case, what does, uh, like, are you guys diving in and doing design and assigning out some content work to them? Or what is that? And what does that piece look like? And how do you structure that and handle that? Sure, sure. So some, probably uh, a good bit of the time, the client is, you know, of course, doing most of the, the content writing or rewriting. And we'll try and give tips and, and give some kind of guidelines for how to do it. Um, other times they'll bring in like, uh, or we'll bring in like a subcontracted copywriter. Um, oftentimes this needs to be someone that, you know, specializes in the, uh, in their industry or at least, uh, knows the vocabulary. Then the third situation would be that, uh, you know, that the agency is responsible, like a branding or marketing agency is responsible for, uh, the content generation and rewriting the the content will be written ahead of when we actually design the page so usually we try and design the page to fit the content um you know what specific stuff will um, be in what sections where's you know a video go how's it how's it kind of structured you know is there a call to action at the end and sometimes there's got to be some back and forth because once you start putting the content actually into a real live page you know it it's rare that it's a uh, exactly effective the first time so sometimes it's bouncing back and forth um iterating on both the what the content is and then what the how the page is structured or laid out right that makes sense so if you're doing design based on content that you have and content typically doesn't come all at once is there a lot of um well let me ask this specifically about the design process i guess 
is it typical for you guys to have the entire site or all the designs that you're going to do at least for the site done before you start development or is it more of uh kind of the the agile sprint cycles where you're doing design then you're implementing that as the next design is being worked on is there a typical way that you guys do that sure yeah so really small projects we might jump straight into kind of like designing in dev um these would be like real low budget projects where you know the um uh, the client's not really interested in a custom design, but it's possible that for a small number of projects, we, we do that kind of like agile design in the browser type thing. Um, we're doing less of that as time goes on. Uh, as projects get bigger, it's, it's hard to do that and stay, you know, top of, uh, top of right, the design right. game and brand compliance. So usually we have most of what we would call the views of the site mocked up. Um, this might not be every, uh, every layout of the site it might not represent uh, every page, but it's at least enough of the views that we can get uh, approval on it and, and then begin design on that. And then those views kind of drive all the, uh, all the other parts of the site as it comes together. So the typical views might be a, you know, a home page, a service page, an about page, maybe a blog page. Um, if there's some special features that they, uh, you know, they've got some kind of special carousel or testimonial area that might be part of it but as as much as possible we try and get the design kind of locked in ahead of dev so we don't have to keep um you know spinning around in circles with development and design adjustments right that makes sense what tools are you using for that blake for the design piece sure sure so we've actually had a big pivot in the last six months um have you heard of a tool called figma mm-hmm um, yeah, so if you're, if anyone's listening and not familiar, it's kind of like Sketch, but, um, more collaborative. It's got a lot of the same kind of ideas and components. It's very easy to use, intuitive, um, program for creating, um, all kinds of design, but we're using it primarily for mockups. So the thing that, uh, we started using it and it didn't really, we, we thought it was kind of gimmicky at first was this, uh, collaborative aspect where we can have three or four members of our team all looking at a mock-up and we can see where the cursors are and we can even be moving stuff around and seeing it happen in real time. So sometimes we'll, um, we'll get to a point where after the kind of design owner, the main person responsible for the design has gotten it to a certain point, we might talk about things as a team and, and we can see each other moving things around. And it's just this great kind of like uh, snowball effect of, you see someone moving something and you know where they're going with it and you see what they're assembling and you might start doing something similar in another area. And it just kind of all merges into a, um, a unified design with uh, a couple people having uh, input. Now that of course wouldn't work with uh, every team and um, d design by committee would certainly be a, a danger, but the, the mix of people we've got right now, there, there's very little, ego in it and we're all uh, quite open to kind of the design process being that kind of uh we're, we're all in there in the kitchen together trying to shoot for the best thing so figma has uh has been a really great new design tool for us with uh, especially the mock-up phase of the project wow that's awesome cool i haven't talked to a lot of people who are using it yet um and we've not we're not currently using it right now either but have played around with it before and it seems like it could be really powerful especially in the type of setup that you guys have 
Yeah, so, absolutely. So once you get kind of the design pieces, you get approval there, then I'm assuming you're rolling into development. And as you're going through the development process, do you guys kind of believe in the uh, wait till everything's pretty much built out before taking it to the client? Or are you doing, again, kind of the same thing with sprints where you're building out functionality, bringing it to the client, and they're looking at it kind of as you're going through it? And then I guess the the secondary question, the main follow-up question there is if they are seeing it kind of on an ongoing basis, then are they giving approval at that point? Or are they just seeing that just so they're updated and in the loop? and then saving that all for kind of batches of feedback at the end. How do you guys handle the development and implementation and feedback process? Sure, sure. Uh, before I address that, one quick note on um, kind of when we when we get to the point of the mock-ups being solid, um, that's a pretty critical part of the approval process for us. Um, and we do a lot of uh, kind of setting of expectations and making sure that uh, um, they know their place and they know what they've hired us to do. Uh, so if, um, as we're presenting a mock-up, we try and really hammer out the, hammer down the idea that uh, they've hired us as the experts to, you know, here's what we are convinced is the best for you. And it may not be what you and your personal biases each like, um, but is this uh, brand compliant and will it help you get, you know, more customers or, more engagement or whatever the strategic part is. So we try and really spend a lot of time setting up ourselves as like the experts and then um, making sure they're focused on the, the end goal is for this to be a site that reflects who they are as a company and is, you know, a strategic big step forward. And uh, as much time as we've kind of spent talking that philosophy with them, I think it's really paid off where we don't have as much um, uh, people trying to insert their own opinion or, you know, uh, be, be pushy with their own biases. So, right. um, uh, that makes sense. You want me to move on to the dev? Yeah. Part yeah I think that, that framework makes a lot of sense and it's super important just to kind of reiterate that that's super important to have as early in the process as possible, because then when it comes down to, you don't want to, you don't want to try and address that. And it's just like with anything else, you want to be harder, just like with parenting or whatever else. Um, it's always easier to let up later on than yeah. try and then try and put the toothpaste back in the tube down the road. So if you can establish that during the design process and preferably even earlier, start that during the sales process, then when you get to the feedback and revisions phase, everything kind of goes back to why we made the decisions that we made during the design process. So just because you don't like something that you see now, it's not about you. It's about the end user. And that's why, that's why this was built out to begin with. So I think that rationale sets you up for success down the road. And that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, uh, fantastic point there as well about uh, making that known early. And if you do that, like in the proposal kind of phase, and they see that you're really wanting them to trust you as an expert and not be the one that, uh, you know, is responsible for coming up with everything or, um, you know, giving you deep, detailed feedback that you're expecting them to trust, it, it'll... um some people it'll give them a great sense of uh, relief because the responsibility has been placed on you and the other people who would want to be in that kind of like, Hey, code monkey, do this and do that. And very directive. They'll start to get the sense that it's not a great fit and they might right. just, you know, exit right there, which is the best thing. If Definitely. you can scare those people away before you're getting into a design battle, 
um, that's a beautiful thing. Do it. Cool. So let's talk about the development process now and what that looks like. How, how are you guys handling that in the feedback loop? Sure, sure. So it depends on the client how early we'll show them like a staging site where the, the design is coming to life. Um, if the client seems kind of uh, real mature about it and can, can kind of handle being given that and, and won't be too quickly judging or um, uh, seeing little things and, and really starting to gum up the process, we will give them access to that pretty early on. Others will wait until it's like, you know, 90, 95% done. And, uh, and then we'll also set up, you know, these are the pages and the aspects that are done. These are the ones that aren't. So that if they're the type that's really anxious to give feedback, they're not giving feedback needlessly for, you know, things that we've already got, you know, 20 issues for in, in GitHub that we're tracking. Um, uh, so sometimes it's immediately in the staging process or pretty early. Other times it would be close to the, um, the end when right. it's a pretty dang workable site that's nearing launch. Right. Yeah. Knowing the client and knowing when you need to protect them from themselves in order to get something done on time is, uh, it's definitely a skill that you develop over time. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Once the, I guess another question about the development process is as say you're getting certain views or templates developed. Um, are you working on any content implementation during that time? Or do you kind of save that till most of the functionality is done with, with dummy content or placeholder stuff? And then you're going in and implementing all that content um, at the end. Do you have a typical way that you approach that? I'm sure that's kind of a little bit of a project by project variance maybe, but what's, sure. what's the preferred model? Um, our preferred model and this may not be the best one, but it's been working for us is to um, pull, pull real content into the site as early as possible. Yep. Um, so if it's a WordPress site that they're moving from and, you know, of course that's our platform, we might even be starting our staging site with all their, you know, existing content, knowing that it'll get rewritten and, you know, reshaped and some things go away. But if, if possible, we like to start with real content. Um, a good example would be like for their blog or for like an events calendar. If it's actual things that they've been doing, that means that we're not designing and developing to kind of like best case, you know, high in the sky type of a, a situation. We have to then design and develop to accommodate their content, uh, their, their styles and all. So, you know, if they end up doing titles that are, you know, 20 words long, we either need to accommodate that with how we're building the thing or we need to, um, you know, help them address that. But either way, we, we hit those kind of um, friction points earlier if we're actually using real world content. So that, that'd be our preferred approach. Yeah, that makes sense. So once you get that in, and I totally agree with you, the more that you can get that and understand how they've actually been using, if, they, if there was something pre-existing, how they actually use that, so that you don't just design it based on what you know is the right thing to do, but you're actually building stuff out and finding solutions for the way that they may have done it, even if that's not technically the right way to do it. Um, page titles is a great example. Or if you know, you've know you got folks who like to add a blog post to 11 different categories, yeah. maybe <laughs> they should just do three or four uh, tops, then you need to adjust for all these tags that you need to show. Um, right, right. But once you get through that process, then... What do 
like is it rounds of feedback that you give them and then you're jumping into kind of pre-launch testing and the launch process or how does how does how does the feedback loop um work basically and is there something standard that you're giving to because this is something that a lot of people this is where scope creep one of the main areas where scope creep becomes a big issue where people see it they think oh good we're a week away from launch uh here's the eight new things that well i still have these people paid for that i can have them do um that maybe yeah. weren't in there or they just realize hey there really is a gap here that we didn't accommodate before before it's not always irrational a lot of times it is it does make sense and it, it's not a bad idea but it, it might be something extra um or they just ask for revisions on everything and obviously the more you right. curb that earlier the better but how do you guys structure that and are there any uh any tips that you have for people on the feedback loop here near the end of the project yep yep um so we of course try and push them to do their feedback in uh in batches or kind of rounds of revision um this is one of these cases like you were talking about you know you start off strong and then it's easy to let off where you know with the proposal we might say uh, you know, we're doing two two rounds of design revision. Um, and then, you know, maybe we end up doing like two big rounds and two small rounds or something like that. But at that point, it's, it's our, um, our preference or our, our choice to, uh, let up. And, uh, so at the kind of development part of the project where they're looking at a dev site, we try and get them to collect their feedback, um, and send it in, uh, in batches that we can address, not, you know, three times a day each day for two weeks right because uh, then we have to kind of you know synthesize all that and that's a big big hassle so especially if they've got a a team of people giving feedback um we'll try and have some way like you know google doc or you know everyone send their email by this this day at a certain time and uh, and try and batch it um with these projects also we have a um with bigger projects, we usually have a standing weekly kind of touch point call where, okay. you know, it might be every Wednesday at 10 a.m. And, uh, you know, our team gets on, their team gets on. Um, sometimes those are short, like 10, 15 minutes. Just, hey, how you doing? Things are good. You won't hear much from us this week. Or, you know, nose, nose down to the grindstone and content or, you know, whatever. But other times it might be 45 minutes to an hour of uh, hashing out things that are, um, coming out or questions that we have as we're developing or um, feeding in the content. So the kind of weekly touch points also give a chance for them to, um, air concerns or thoughts. And, uh, you know, if there starts to be the scope creep thing, I mean, scope creeps, one of those things that, you know, we all struggle with it, but at the end of the day, it's, all of our own faults, right? You know? exactly. <laughs> um, so, so if you have your proposals written clear enough that you can, you can say, Hey, this is out of scope. Then, then you can say, Hey, yeah, that's a great idea, but you know, we really can't uh, capture that in a phase one. If you want, I can get you a quote and we could, you know, think about rolling that in, you know, a week or two after launch. Or, you know, so that's really just a, um, a practice of maturing to the point where you're able to say no or able to take that scope creep and, and kind of pivot it. So it's um, yeah. it's a problem, but it's mostly a problem that's internal to us. Is kind of how I would say oh, that. Almost, almost entirely an agency problem. It all yeah. comes down to how you set expectations and then 
uh, kind of stay disciplined according to the expectations that you set at the beginning and hold people to that. Because if you let them start to start to move along, then you're just kind of setting yourself up for um, that contest of seeing how far we can we can push the limits and how mm-hmm. much we can get, yeah. get out of this. And and I should say too, you know, extra scope requests are also a fantastic opportunity to you know better the relationship where oftentimes we'll know that a, a feature a client asks is really it's an easy one like this is like 15 minutes of time not a big deal but it's a big deal in their mind so we'll say hey yeah we'll do that but you know just so you know this is outside of scope but hey we're happy to accommodate this is a great idea no problem and so then we haven't lost that value like if we just take that we haven't gain the value if we just do it without remarking on it we haven't gained value but if we say yes we'll do it and also this is something that we're gifting to you it um it really helps strengthen the relationship as well so we, we do a lot of that but we try and not let it pass without remarking on hey this was outside of scope but you guys have been great to work with we're happy to accommodate right yeah well there's a whole this is uh way more psychological but there's a whole like way that you're giving value when you share that not only do they get to enjoy the fact that you made the edit they also get to enjoy the fact that one of the ways i I think about it is always trying to find ways and and give ways for other people to win so that's a way that they feel like they've won that they've gotten something um from you not necessarily and i guess that's that's more of a a zero-sum game approach to it Um, it's not always necessarily winning or losing i think there's a lot of examples where it's it's not really like that, but not only do do they get the value from having whatever it was that you implemented, but they also feel like they got more value than they paid for, which obviously creates a a good feeling in pretty much everybody. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so I think that's that's a that's a huge tip as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, Blake, this has been really good. I've got kind of two follow up questions for you. One is around tools that you're using throughout the process. So I'm gonna throw out some examples and some questions and then I'll let you kind of run with that if there's any specifics that you have that are either inside of this or outside but um, for us a lot of the content and um, and pieces are happening inside of Google Drive so we'll use Google Docs to gather a lot of content where we can collaborate in there we'll use uh, Google Sheets for like a page architecture spreadsheet and SEO uh, keyword research and planning and um, a bunch of, bunch of different things like that we'll use then like once you get into design um, we've already talked about some of those tools once we get into um, the development side of things I'm curious to know what some of the tools are that you guys are using throughout the process and you don't necessarily need to list them out but if there's anything that you think that uh, might be unusual or different or that people would benefit from learning about is there anything um, like that in your workflow or what are some of the key tools sure. in the process for you guys yeah, so like you guys, um, we're kind of a Google Drive, Google Docs uh, <laughs> type shop, and that works really well. Um, a lot of times clients are familiar with it, so it's really easy to get feedback and comments and you know make edits and suggestions on things. So we love that for, for kind of capturing a lot of stuff, particularly with content or, or strategy. Um, let's see here. In terms of communication internally, um, we also jumped on the Slack bandwagon in the last year, mm-hmm. which has um, been amazing. I don't know how we lived without it before because, you know, we might have 15 kind of semi-active projects and like three to five really active like 
current projects in play. And what was happening is our communication streams were all, you know, pulling together. Uh, you know, a Google a Google Hangout thread that, you know, it was hard to follow which project we were talking about. And now with Slack, we've got these wonderful channels for each project, and uh, we can kind of internally jump in and out of those and catch back up. So Slack's been a big one. Um, let's see here. In terms of development, uh, that gets into kind of like um, – uh, our, our lead developer, Josh Mallard's territory, but I know he's got all kinds of stuff he uses, like, you know, GitHub and, you know, I forget which ones we're on exactly, but, you know, Grunt, Less, Sass, you know, all those yep. kind of um, compiler and workflow type tools. Uh, let's see here. Let me think what else. Uh, we mentioned Figma. Yep. Um, we use Toggle for kind of time tracking. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. Are you ever sharing that time? Uh, is that ever something that is client facing or is that just for internal, uh, kind of tracking and figuring out how to become more efficient? Pretty much just for internal. Um, some clients and some type of work will take those, you know, monthly reports and then, uh, you know, build them for, for the time. Um, it's usually at that point kind of a, a judgment call. It's usually not that exact time. Um, oftentimes it'll be a little bit less than that or we'll, you know, round a certain way. We, we don't really get feed or pushback on, um, um, kind of hourly billings. It's like, um, they, they trust us and we, we do right by them and we, we're not, uh, we try not to be too precise. I think if we gave them reports down to the minute, they'd start to be, um, you know, treat it like that and they would start to question each minute. So, we we keep a pretty kind of loosey goosey game with um, hourly billings. Cool. My last question, not around tools at all, but kind of around the launch process and what that looks like. And there's we could do a whole other episode just on going through kind of pre-launch and post-launch testing and the actual launch process. But I've got a couple questions. One is, um, how long does a typical launch process is it typically really easy just a simple dis deploy from uh staging to production and obviously replacing the old site and setting up redirects and handling a lot of that stuff or is there more that goes into it and then are you guys is there a day of the week this is something that's come up a couple of times is there a day <laughs> of the week that you like to launch on a lot of people are like don't launch on uh friday because then if something goes wrong no one's going to want to handle it over the weekend some people are like only launch on yeah. Friday because then you can handle it over the weekend and no one else is there. Um, how do you guys handle the launch process? Yeah, yeah. This this could be an entire uh, podcast under itself. But basically, um, it, it depends on if, if they're an existing client and we've already been hosting them. Usually our staging site that we're working on is already, you know, tied to the live site. I mean, we could we could launch and it'd be a matter of minutes um, and, and no downtime. If we're moving hosts, which is typical for a new client, uh, there is there can be some trouble with DNS. We've got all kinds of like um, tricks we've learned with that and how to make sure that the DNS propagation doesn't kill it. But uh, even even with kind of a DNS switchover, typically like a half an hour of kind of awkward in between time to an hour of awkward in between time, where you know people are seeing the old site and the new site and it's flipping back and forth. That would be um, that would be uh more common. So we usually like to, depending on the client and their 
particular industry. We like to launch, you know, at night, like uh, sometimes it's seven, eight, nine, ten. I mean, sometimes we've done launches really late uh, because they've been high enough profile that they even have people on their site at, at 10 o'clock at night. But um, we actually do like Friday night um, if we control all the pieces. So yep. if we control the hosting and, of course, all the, the WordPress side of things, and especially if we control the DNS, for us, our team is usually kind of bouncing in, in and out on Saturdays anyways. So doing a Friday launch is safe for us because we're okay with working on Saturdays. Right. Um, if not, and the, the team's really like, hey, we can't jump in, like the client team would have to be part of it, then we would do something like a you know, Thursday night launch or something like that um, or, or even like end of day launch. Sometimes the, the client team really doesn't want to work at all outside of standard business hours, so we'll accommodate. I mean, it's, it's their, um, their ship. And if they're okay with that, then we'll go with it. Right. That makes sense, man. There's so, so many follow-up questions that we could ask there, but we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this week. Blake, thanks so much for coming on and being willing to share and be open about the process that you guys have. Um, I'm sure, um, obviously we mentioned this last time, but if folks have follow-up questions, um, obviously they can, check out your your site at limecuda.com and we'll put all the links in the show notes again um but thanks so much for coming on and being willing to share and uh always appreciate talking to you yeah my pleasure thanks Gray.